Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. So it's Father's Day today, which is an early 20th century US invention uh, to balance uh, Mother's Day. Um, and it's an opportunity uh, to honor fatherhood and the role that it plays in the family and also in society. It's also important, I think, to say with Father's Day, just like Mother's Day, that it can be a source of pain uh, for many people, those who've not been able to have children and become fathers, uh, those whose fathers have died, uh, were absent, or were even abusive. I'm a father. Um, however, it's interesting enough, I, I never experienced having one. Uh, my father died when I was two, um, so I never knew him. And that lack of a father has had a huge impact on my life. Um, and that shows me the impact that fathers do have. You know, in some ways, um, I felt in the early part of my life rudderless. Um, I can remember uh, I was unsure as to what to do. I wanted guidance. I wanted order. And I noticed that that was missing. It's also interesting to see a list of famous people uh, who had absent fathers. Barack Obama, Steve Jobs, Jack Nicholson, Marilyn Monroe, Jeff Bezos, Angelina Jolie, and, and the, the, the list sort of goes on. And it does have an effect, a drive, it seems to put in, what Jung called the search for the father. On the negative side, fatherless children are at a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse, uh, mental illness, suicide, poor educational performance, teen pregnancy, and criminality. And maybe a different sort of search, you know, through external sources that these people go through for self-esteem. So I just wonder, what is it to be a father? Interesting enough, over the last few weeks, if you've been around, we've been looking at the nature of God. And one of the key ways that Jesus addresses God is as Abba, Father, as in the Lord's Prayer, our Father. It's quite a bone of contention nowadays that God is described as a Father. I think it's quite erroneous, really. There's no reason why that God, you know, should be he, she, or it. The idea of divinity seems to me to be beyond gender. However, Jesus did say, our Father, and religion is pretty unanimous in declaring the masculinity of God. Uh, Muslims, Jews, Christians, Hindus, and Buddhists, although Buddhists don't believe in God, but you know, they all seem to focus on the male. Um, now, there's obviously a negative to this, uh, the patriarchy, the affirmation of the supremacy, supposedly, of the male, reflected in customs such as primogeniture, where the male is the line that always inherits. Up to now, recently in England, only male heirs inherited estates, including the monarchy. That's changed now. 
But I think there's a lot to be said uh, for the idea um, of a male conspiracy giving men the upper hand. Um, however, as well as that, there's also, I think, the idea of fatherly care that comes into the idea of God being male. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling, says in Psalm 68. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him stone? Or if you ask for fish, do you give him a snake? There is this idea of care and order that goes with fatherliness. And I think that also goes for the creation and care of the universe, the cosmos. Literally from the Greek, the cosmos, the order of the world. If I was going to put my finger on one thing that related to fathers, it would be that the father gives, I think, a caring order to life. The idea that the father can provide the rock for many around them. And it's not just families. Just have a look at the buddy program. Places where fathers, men, give that sense. The father gives a caring order to life. One that embodies physical strength as opposed to the more fecund weaved strength that comes from the feminine. There is an energy, an adaptability, a freedom that comes from the energy of the father. A bit like the idea that, that in order to play the game of football, you've got to have rules. The father gives the context in love for those rules to be present, or, or they think they do. I, I love that old joke about the the couple were having their 30th wedding anniversary and the husband stood up and he said, well, when we got married, my wife and I made an agreement that I was to make all the important decisions and she was to make all the less important decisions. It seems that in 30 years of marriage, there's never been a really important decision to make. <laughs> so the thing about law and order you know, relating to fathers, I think is interesting. To some extent, it's what we look to fathers to be. However, the other side is that men can use that, I think, to dominate. Look at the laws and societies that have become paternalistic and, and biased against women. Look at the church. Look at other religions. I think that the gifts that men have for giving law and order to the universe can be corrupted when they're tainted by fear, and that fear is often of the intuitive and creative gifts that are given to women. Men sometimes fear that. Just as women feel threatened by male violence, so men often feel threatened by the creative and intuitive feminine. Look at the attitude to witches in this country and all over the world. When men feel that their power to create order is being threatened, They'll use that power to suppress. It says in Galatians, know that a man is not justified by observing the law. A man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith. So we too have put our faith in Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. I think that's interesting. As men, our real power comes when we use it with soft hearts rather than hard hearts. 
Someone once said that wisdom was knowledge informed by love. And similarly, the power of men to control, to create order and stability, that has to be informed by love and not by a desire to control. And that love is brought about by service, our service to God and our neighbour. Jesus said our task is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our strength, all our mind, and to love our neighbour as ourselves. When we create order out of service, then that power comes about. And I think Jesus was the same. He was the humble king who didn't seek equality with God, but made himself nothing. And that's the template for what we do to be true men. That passage from Luke that Andrew read may seem an odd one uh, for Father's Day, but I think it really puts the message clearly. There is Jesus and his followers, you know, and the scribes and Pharisees, the teachers of the law and order, and who should appear amongst them but a prostitute? She's probably beautiful, voluptuous, and she carries with her this wonderful perfume. And you just imagine the men internally just going mad inside. The sense is thrown into chaos by what they see before them. And then this woman begins to wet Jesus' feet with her tears and pour the perfume on his feet and then wipe his feet with her hair. I mean, there's nothing more sensuous than that. And the male Pharisees are full of confusion and unhelpful emotions. Their whole body screams to get the woman out of here. Law! Law! Law, their body is crying out. But Jesus is completely unaffected by the threat that they feel. He only sees her pain and everything that the woman is giving. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Jesus knows the law, but his interpretation is informed by love. And so our maleness, our fatherliness, whether we be men or women, must be informed by that love, the soft-heartedness that does not burn women at the stake out of fear, but rather gives an order that will care for all, an order that sees the roles that both men and women play and creates an environment that empowers everyone. You can see that when men take the law and order a bit too far, you know, they end up controlling their children, becoming abusive dictators, overbearing bosses. The temptation is to take our rock, that characteristic, too far, and so we become fixed in our views. I put that um, picture on the, on, the, on the email that we sent out about this service called American Gothic, the one with the, uh, the pitchfork either side. And it may seem not, but everyone assumes that the woman standing there is the wife. It's the daughter. It's painted as the daughter. Grant Wood painted that in 1930. There's a father 
and a daughter. And it seemed to sum up for me that you, know, that you can see her looking up at him like this, you know, in that sort of situation. So fathers, as fathers, we do have the role of creating law and order, of being the rock upon which families are built. Have we need to realize that it must be in balance and in service as we do that. That idea of care and order going together, of love and order, is the heart of Jesus's view of the New Testament. There is order and there is love together. And our role is to be that care and order together, not abusing but nurturing. In reality, providing the environment for children to grow in love and self-esteem. And each of us will all have different ways of doing that. We all have our qualities of men that we've been given to emphasize, to be open-minded, available, strong, loving, fair, giving, providing, teaching, encouraging, accepting. Maybe thinking of the quality that you embody, that you feel you embody as men at the moment. We have to play a role alongside that of women. We complement each other, mother and father both. As fathers, we can be conflicted. What we think we should be doing as a father and the feelings and emotions that run through us in response to what comes our way, like those Pharisees, be it the woman with perfume or an unruly child or the way we relate to our wives. There is so much going on that it's difficult to identify how to respond in any given situation. To some extent, I think women are anchored in the earth, the divine feminine, anchored by their blood. The creativity is very earthy. And as men, we don't have that anchor. We tend to be in the air. Our heads are more ego-based and not knowing where our anchor is. Well, the anchor point for men is in our hearts, where the divine meets our souls. And our role is to remember that our power resides in our hearts and not in one extremity or another. If we come from that power in our hearts, then we'll always respond in a way that's appropriate. If we come from our heads or any other part of us that's pressing our minds for attention, then we get sidetracked into behavior that is unedifying and does not bring love into the world. But if we come from our hearts, then we become the rock upon which things can be built. We are dependable. We can support those around us. We can be relied upon because we're anchored in the divine. And Jesus was that way. He's not of the earth in the way that women are. He was fully man and his anchor point was his heart. And he connected with what he called the father in that way. And in that sense, he and the father were one because he lived out his life from a point of caring, loving the Lord with all his heart, all his mind, all his strength. And the women responded to him because of it. The women cared for him. He didn't threaten them. And they were the ones left at the end with him at the cross. In these days of migrating gender, it's fashionable to try and make comments about gender stereotypes. But we can also see that there is a spectrum right across from which all of us come. On the one hand is the divine feminine of the earth, 
and the other the soul open to the sky. All of us have parts of both, and it's useful to see the spectrum from both sides so we can see where we fit in. Let's pray. I've got this microphone here. I've said this a couple of times before, just in case uh, anyone would like to either ask a question, share an experience, or just join in with the conversation. I'm saying that now, so you can build up to it while I uh, do one of my little uh, stories from the second book of the Tao, um, which I always think sort of very illustrative as to sometimes what, what we've been talking about. <clears throat> Once... When a seabird landed outside the capital, the Marquis of Lu escorted it to his ancestral temple, had the music of the ninefold splendors performed, poured out a cup of old wine, and spread before it a feast of beef and pork. But the bird became dazed and it pined away refusing to taste meat or wine. In three days, it was dead. This was treating the bird as the Marquis would have liked to be treated, not as the bird would like to be treated. Had he done so, he'd have let it roost in the deep forest, play among the islands, swim in the rivers and lakes, feed on the mudfish and minnows, fly with the rest of the flock, and live any way it chooses to. And I thought that was apt, because as men, we do tend to think we know what other people might want. And, you know, we do tend to impose our views, and we can, all of us, men and women, can impose our views on other people, thinking we're doing it for the best. But like with that bird, the bird didn't want to eat the wine, the pork, and the beef. It wanted to be free. But the Marquis insisted that his view of order be imposed on the bird. And as a result, the bird died. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, Subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.